Welcome to The Gold Report, where we inspire you to be 10% more courageous. Please like, share, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. I'm so excited to introduce today's guest. He is just a fantastic, fierce, independent, freedom-minded physician. Dr. Scott Jensen is a former candidate for Minnesota governor. He's a dad, husband, longtime family physician, and former, former Minnesota state senator for Carver County. In 2016, he was named the Minnesota Family Doctor of the Year. I just have to say, that is the thing that I find so impressive that one particular physician could be picked um, by their peers and by their patients to be the best doctor in the state. Just outstanding. Um, And he continued to work as a family physician while he was serving in the Minnesota State Senator, State Senate. In 2020, he advocated to end Governor Waltz's emergency powers and advocated for children to be able to return to the classroom. He's currently suing the Medical Board of Minnesota and the Attorney General of Minnesota to protect against the weaponization of public office for political purposes. So this is something I know quite a bit about, and Dr. Jensen and I will... uh, share that information with you, how we're fighting back against the state medical boards. Welcome, Dr. Jensen. So Dr. Jensen, it's always so great to see you. Thank you. And you know, you and I have a lot in common. I mean, one of those things is that we keep pushing back on the tyrannical powers in our state and our federal government. And as you know, I've taken on the California Medical Board, and I know that you've taken on the Minnesota Medical Board. And how how is that going? Well, it's it's going well, Simone. I, I have to tell you about a brief interaction I had with a patient this morning. The patient was very supportive and very encouraging and said, you know, Doc, I really appreciate all that you're doing for, for so many of us. And I said to him, you know, had I known what my life would look like four, four years ago, I think I might have moved to Africa. Yeah. And he laughed. And I said, if someone had told me that I was going to push back against the president of the United States in September of 2021, when he decided unilaterally in a press conference to tell America that he was going to mandate vaccines for employers greater than 50 employees or greater than 100 employees, for me to push back publicly and for me to be in this role of being investigated by the Minnesota Board of Medical Practice six different times, some 18 allegations, for me to be in a role where now I've been exonerated the allegations have all been dismissed. And now I'm in the process of suing the Minnesota Board of Medical Practice, as well as the Attorney General of Minnesota for infringement on my First Amendment rights. It's an astonishing journey that I've traveled. And I know that in so many ways, Simone, you've traveled that exact same path. Yeah. I, you know, listening to you, it's, it's always such a pleasure. So, you know, just to remind our viewers, you and I met in 2020 and we really didn't know what the world had in store for us. And I think we each just took the ethical, honorable step forward in, in each direction for our patients. And it's been astonishing. My case is really all about free speech and they, they didn't allege any patient um, care issues, but they just... They really attacked my political speech, my freedom speech on January 6th, which was clearly political speech, et cetera. But I I think I said this to you before, and I I mentioned it in the intro, that you literally are one of the most beloved family physicians in your entire state. That is an unbelievable lifetime achievement. It's, It's 
for me as a doctor, I, I can't even honestly think of a, of a bigger honor. It's bigger than the Nobel Prize. I just, I just think it's incredible. So I'm reminding our viewers of that because if they can go after somebody who is unbelievably popular and you were a state senator on top of that. So I wanted to say God bless you for fighting back because you're at least in a position where you can fight back. You have a sterling reputation. How is that going now procedurally against the medical board? Like, what are the steps? Where are you in the steps with them? Well, thank you, Simone, for those kind words. Thank you very much. And I think that your point is well taken. I think that one of the reasons when in March of this year, the Minnesota Board of Medical Practice dismissed all the allegations against me, said the case is closed. One of the reasons why I couldn't stop at that point was because of what you said. I have been blessed. I've had a wonderful career. I've been named the Minnesota Family Physician of the Year for the entire state of Minnesota previously. I feel like when I was exonerated by the Minnesota Board of Medical Practice, this was the door opening for me to stand up for so many people who don't necessarily have that same opportunity. I can't help but think of the words of Mordecai to Esther through a messenger in the Old Testament. Have you considered you're in the position you're in for such a time as this? So, because when they come after me, they're coming after thousands and thousands of people. And I did have, and I do have, the resources to push back. But if you're a person whose livelihood or career depends upon any kind of government interconnection, whether it's licensure, registration, inspection, approval, whether you're a nurse with your own business, whether you're a, a private tutor and a teacher, whether you're a restaurant owner, whether you're a physician, uh, whether you're a hair stylist that requires a periodic inspection of your workspace, all of these people can be shut down because government agencies can be weaponized. And that's what's happened to me. So I don't feel like I really had a choice. I didn't get to walk away, celebrate the fact that the Board of Medical Practice said, Dr. Jensen, everything's done, no discipline, everything's dismissed, let's go on our merry way. Within a month, my attorney and I filed suit and we said, okay, the Minnesota Board of Medical Practice infringed on my First Amendment rights. Now, in Minnesota, the Attorney General is representing the Minnesota Board of Medical Practice. And my suit is in the federal district court. A couple of weeks ago, we had a court date because the Attorney General is trying to get my case dismissed. What I thought was particularly interesting, Simone, was a couple of the comments by the judge. Now, I'm not gonna try to prognosticate what the judge is gonna decide and sometime in the coming months, we'll probably get a decision from the judge. But two phrases were used during that hour-long court proceeding by the judge. One is, he said something to the Board of Medical Practices Council. He said, so you think that Dr. Jensen maybe should be saying, since everything's been dismissed, no harm, no foul? <laughs> he used that phrase, no harm, no foul. Mm -hmm. And I think in doing so, I think the judge conveyed fairly clearly that he understood that there's impact going forward, even if looking back, all of those allegations have been dismissed.
And then later on in this court proceeding, the judge asked the Board of Medical Practices Council, so do you believe that regardless of any kind of complaint put forward, that the Board of Medical Practice could use it as an opportunity to, quote, go fishing? I was heartened yes. by those two comments by the judge because I felt like that judge is trying to understand the impact on me. He's trying to understand where the the defense counsel, the counsel for the Minnesota Board of Medical Practice is coming from. How would they not see it as infringing on my First Amendment rights? And we're trying to make a very clear case, Simone, that there is an obvious distinction between free speech and professional conduct as it relates to the care of people. There has to be. Because if there isn't, Simone, then are you saying when you accept your MD degree and get through medical school that you're giving up your right for the remainder of your life to speak to issues that weigh heavy on the heart? Yeah. Are you saying that you're not going to be like a U.S. Senator Rand Paul who on the floor of the U.S. Senate speaks his mind, interrogates Tony Fauci, does all of these things? You're saying that you give all that up because as a doctor, you don't get to have free speech. That seems at the surface level, absolutely ludicrous. And yet that's what you and I are both dealing with. Right. First of all, oh my gosh, you, you said that so well. A couple of things uh, you said, which I, I want to repeat back for people. First of all, the process is the punishment. That We are living in a time when the process, the judicial legal process is weaponized against people. So they have to spend months or years and tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars just to get back to square one. So I am heartened that the judge understood that no harm, no foul is inapplicable in a case like this. You've really fought them for years. There's been a tremendous amount of harm. And I'm also heartened that he sees kind of the bigger picture. Not only do doctors or nobody, nobody gives up their free speech rights when they get some kind of professional license or regulation, et cetera. But in fact, I would argue, and we did, that doctors have a special duty to society to speak out publicly. Thank you for mentioning Rand Paul. Any doctor who's serving in Congress has, has demonstrated that they have a special heightened obligation to speak out because we know more. And when you start taking out the intelligentsia, I guess that would be our, our, our class category, the intelligentsia, right? Then what are people downstream supposed to think and understand? They can then only believe what the government has to tell them. I think your fight is critical. And I don't know how much you knew about my fight with the California Medical Board, but the prosecutor in my case, the, the person representing the California Medical Board, asked me, questions went on really for hours about my political viewpoints. It was, it was incredibly shocking. And I could see that the judge was, I think, trying to be fair and trying to be dispassionate and was struggling really to hear from both sides. And over time, I think he understood that this was an entire line of questions that was wildly inappropriate, but he didn't get it right away. You know, he's just listening to both sides and she's asking about my political viewpoints. And this is very dangerous stuff. And I want to remind everybody that the medical boards in their um, scope of regulatory authority are, are limited into the areas in which they can get involved. 
they are supposed to be involved in areas of public health or public safety, which would include the licensing of medical professionals. But they are not empowered to speak out um, uh, or to try to restrict doctors' livelihoods on any issue whatsoever, which is what they're doing. And you were serving in the state Senate, and you know about their scope. You know that they cannot have as wide a scope as they're trying to seize, correct? You're absolutely right. And Simone, I think you've really hit on a perhaps a, a finer point, but terribly important for everybody to understand, and that's this question of jurisdiction. For instance, if you look at the CDC's origins in the 1940s, it was created really to monitor and regulate the process of malaria and how it impacts on America. Through the years, the CDC's impact has grown. Its jurisdictional area has grown. But was there a conscious volitional decision on the part of a legislative body to say that the CDC could play a part in this far out, outside the guardrails questioning of juniors and sophomores and freshmen in high school who want to be able to participate in athletic activities such that when they have their athletic physical, that they can be asked if there are guns in the house, if this or that is the case, are they safe? Is there something that makes them uncomfortable? We've seen the scope of the CDC's jurisdiction expand in some power-grabbing mechanism that should alarm everyone. And then if you turn back to your case specifically, in your state of California, you had the legislature get involved because of you to try to make it easier for the Board of Medical Practice to take away your license. Now, if that's not bad enough, what people need to understand is that in a not too lengthy period of time, that legislature, recognizing how awful the legislation was that they passed, walked it back. You had your governor in California literally say, well, I wasn't I wasn't that in favor of it anyway, but yeah, I signed it because yada, yada, yada. But the bottom line is there was a willingness to venture way outside the guardrails, go after Dr. Simone Gold. And then once they had gotten it passed and Newsom had signed the bill within a year or two, it was being retracted, pulled back and said, uh, no harm, no foul, Dr. Gold. We hope that our legislative branching out doesn't bother you too much. I think you should speak to that. Right. So we actually filed it. You know, these things all are procedurally complicated. So when the California Medical Board came after me, it then, like in your case, it opened the opportunity for me to really turn the tables and go after them. So we actually filed a lawsuit against them. That um, that judge has decided to not say anything until the current case in front of the administrative law judge is decided yay or nay. And then we'll see what happens. The interesting quirk, and I don't know how it is in Minnesota, but in California, the administrative law judge will either side with me or side with the medical board. But no matter which side he rules on, the medical board can still do whatever it wants. So if the judge says, gosh, there's no harm here, Dr. Gold didn't do anything at all, um, the medical board can still restrict my license, which which I didn't know until this process started unfolding, I think is incredibly dangerous. You actually have written on the book, you know, your CDC example was great about exceeding their scope. And was it a conscious decision? Or was it just kind of government always getting bigger? In California, the Medical Practice Act very clearly limits the scope 
that and the medical board cannot come after people for speech. It cannot come after things that are not related to the practice of medicine. And but that's actually what they did. So if people like us don't fight back, it won't matter what's written on the paper. So we had to fight back. But again, like you, I had the resources to do this. This has been uh, almost two full years. And I would say for six months, it's been nearly full time for me, just like working on it. And the legal costs are well above $100,000. So this is not realistic for most people, which is why you know we have to take on this fight when we can. And also, I do think both of us, uh, thankfully, are not intimidated and it's, you know, you, you know, bring it on. So when the California Medical Board attorney had questions for me, I'm sorry, but she looked kind of foolish. She's asked me a whole bunch of political questions. She didn't really come across that great. So anyway, that seems to be our role, you know, in 2023, 2024. Um, I wanted to ask you about a couple of other things, though, especially because your background is a state senator. We were just talking about how scary it is, you know, that our medical information should not be held private. You know, you and I were working for decades as doctors and we know how seriously privacy is, you know, and, and how you have to sign away waivers and you have to be so careful as a doctor to always speak privately and HIPAA and all that. So it was a shock to hear that pharmacies, global, you know, uh, national pharmacy chains are just kind of giving away people's personal prescription information if the government asks. And, and, and what, what do you have to say about that? Like your thoughts on that? I appreciate you bringing that up, Simone. And, and honestly, uh, I'm sure that there'll be people that are sharply critical of us for having this conversation, but that's on them, not us. This morning, I read a lengthy article about this, and I was talking with my wife about it. Now, Mary's a, a veterinarian, and, and she certainly has many parallels in her career as I do as a family doctor. When I was in the Senate, I was a vice chair of the Health and Human Services Committee, and we talked a lot about patient data privacy. And we talked about HIPAA. And was HIPAA an adequate threshold? Or did we need to have a higher threshold for patient record privacy? We, we talked a lot about it. And I think it's interesting that there's a corollary here with what we just got done talking about with the CDC branching out beyond their original guardrails. I think we're sort of seeing the same thing here. With We're seeing medical record distribution occurring without patient permission, going out beyond the guardrails of what was intended. When HIPAA was passed, I don't think there was any intent on the part of the legislative bodies that were involved to say, okay, we're going to protect patient medical records when it comes to hospital records or to physician clinics or whatever, whatever, but we're going to totally exempt the world of pharmacy because we don't care if the world of pharmacy allows casual distribution of patients' medical information, such as have they been on a mental health medication? Have they been on an antidepressant or an anti-anxiety agent? Did they get these medicines for birth control? Did they get these medicines for repeated STD treatments? These kinds of medical data are critically private. And the notion that a patient, without their knowledge, has their background of all the medicines they used, what year, all the vaccinations that that pharmacy may or may not have provided, what year, all of this information potentially going to players that the patient has 
no idea is happening. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about being very, very persnickety about making sure patient data privacy is protected when it comes to doctors' offices and hospitals. But all of a sudden, the world of pharmacy, no holds barred. Go ahead, have at it. You don't need to have, quote, a search warrant signed by a judge. This is astonishing. And this should raise this conversation topic to a new level so that indeed legislative bodies and Congress can address this because this is not protection of patient privacy. Right. So you and I have talked about this um, a couple times because we're so disturbed. I mean, I, I see this as just one more example of how the, the current system, I call call it the medical industrial complex, is absolutely not fixable. So I again, this is this is really why I built an alternative, why I built goldcare.com, which one of the things we emphasize is not going to national pharmacy chains. I mean, I could have almost predicted this result. It was very obvious to me that CVS, Rite Aid were, were doing things that were against patients. Maybe I didn't know to this degree, but we saw during the COVID years, they were interfering with the physician's ability to prescribe medications. I don't know if you know this, but if a physician prescribed, for example, ivermectin, CVS specifically would have, or actually even with hydroxychloroquine, it would have a pop-up, it popped up on the screen, prompting the technician or the pharmacist to like, it was like a red flag, you know, to ask questions. So they were already interfering. So this is, maybe this will be um, an impetus for our Congress people to, to heighten the, the, the privacy. It worries me greatly because I've also spoken to independent pharmacy chain pharmacy owners who said that they were audited by the pharmacy boards to see who and how many ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine prescriptions were being written in 2021, especially. And so the power of the government is, is just unlimited. And, you know, I mean, we're just sharing this information. With Let the me jump in on that, uh, Dr. Gold. In Minnesota, they did one worse than what you just described. In Minnesota, from March of 2020, Till August of 2020, the governor of Minnesota, via executive power, emergency executive power, told the Minnesota Board of Pharmacy, tell your pharmacists that they cannot dispense hydroxychloroquine prescriptions written by physicians unless it's for specifically and indicated conditions such as malaria or a connective tissue disorder. What bothered me so much when I was in the Senate during that frame time frame was that there was no explanation when that edict was put in place. But even more, four months later, when it was removed, the governor did that very quietly on a day that he, in fact, had held a press conference. It tells you that he did not want to have to defend why for four months he used the pharmacy board as his sledgehammer. Mm -hmm. And this was during a time frame where U.S. Senator Amy Klobuchar's husband, who was hospitalized with COVID, was treated with hydroxychloroquine, <laughs> sending a clear message to Minnesotans. This hydroxychloroquine can be used for the political elite but for the common everyday man and woman, you're out of luck. Nobody has ever held our government 
accountable for that absolute travesty. I thank you for the specificity of that um, of that story. It I the, something kind of similar happened in California, not quite as terrible, but I didn't have examples of that kind of specificity. And I urge all of our viewers to just be on heightened alert when it comes to giving governments power, because it seems as though they inevitably just take more and more power. And yes, they always are exempt from their own rules. Of course, they're always going to work their way around and get what they need. Simone, you probably remember those words from Harry Truman. Once a government commits to silencing the voice of the opposition, it has only one place to go, down the path of increasingly repressive measures. This is what we're seeing happen. And when we give them an inch, they do take a mile. Dr. Scott Jensen, you are an asset to Minnesota and to the citizens of these United States. Let us hope and pray that 2024 brings us um, good news, good tidings, and that we can halt the erosion of our liberty and, in fact, increase um, our freedoms going forward. I want to thank you so much for sharing your time with us today. You are a treasure. Thank you so much, Simone. And I'll just close my comments by saying this. We've been played. And the reason that you and I are so involved in this battle, Simone, is because we know that it the we isn't just you and I. The we is American citizens across the land. And, and that's fr quite frankly why I wrote a book called We've Been Played, Exposing the Triad of Tyranny. And if people want to get that book, Simone, they could certainly go to drscottjensenbook.com and get it there. But this is critically important and we never let this happen again. Thanks for having me on your show. I was going to ask you, thank you for the reminder to please, if you say it one more time, the URL so people can know how to find you. DrScottJensenBook.com, D-R-S-C-O-T-T-J-E-N-S-E-N-B-O-O-K.com. The books are available for 20 bucks online. But don't forget, when we've been played, as said, we're not talking about Simone Gold and Scott Jensen. We're talking about American citizens across the land involving thousands of people who were locked out of their businesses, locked out of their schools, locked into nursing homes. We've been played. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dr. Jensen. So we have another installment of our Deadly Disinformation Dozen video. You are going to enjoy this. And all I have to say is ka-ching, ka-ching. The White House pointed to an aggressive online misinformation effort by a handful of bad actors. Misinformation on social media is killing people. Yeah. You vaccinate not only for yourself, you vaccinate also to protect society. Pfizer CEO Albert Burla is speaking out for the first time since recovering from COVID for the second time in just under two months. And last week, an exchange between a member of the European Parliament from the Netherlands and a Pfizer executive about whether the vaccine was tested on stopping the transmission of the virus before entering the market has now gone viral. Was the Pfizer COVID vaccine tested on stopping the transmission of the virus before it entered the market? Um, regarding the question around, um, did we know about stopping humanization before um, it entered the market? No, no. <laughs> the vaccines were tested extensively in clinical trials and they were ex uh, tested extensively in a real world setting. 
So if you have a question that you'd like me to answer, please visit thegoldreport.com and click on contact. And if it's a question that I think lots of people want to hear answered, we will absolutely answer it right here. Thank you for joining The Gold Report, where we urge you and hope to inspire you to be 10% more courageous. Thank you. Please like, share, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Bye.